0: Saintly dashing two lengths in front. Cummings and Briefman. Cummings going for 10 and he's got it. Saintly well clear of Count Tibet's nothing like a game. And Sky over safely. Safely wins it easily. Damien Oliver riding with the spirit of Jason. Out by three on media puzzle. I think he's got the cup run. Media puzzle clear. And media puzzle. Damien and Dermot have done it. Fear into just in front of Red Canoe, who's coming back. Fear into the Bayern. Oliver swifting in. And fear into Katie Deva, a nation roars for a hero. She's starting the wind up. But the Katie Deva with a hundred meters to go. Excellent runs to second. Olizun runs on, but a champion becomes a legend. But Katie
1: Deva's runner. Hello, I'm Gareth Hall, and welcome to the first ever VRC Melbourne Cup Carnival Preview Podcast. For the next hour we'll discuss and have a chat about the wonderful carnival that Flemington produces each and every year. My special guest for this podcast, and I'll tell you what, we have brought in the very best. Nick Sharkey, hello to you,
2: Gareth. How are you, mate? Does that mean I'm the captain of the yes, A team, or do you start at the bottom and work up from there? Because usually, when I get introduced first, that's that's the play.
1: <laughs> well, it's a credit to yourself. Been I waiting my to, whole life for I this ne- moment. I needed to give you a lot of confidence before oh, the right. podcast, okay. Because you've got some wonderful I'm teammates. I'm that. Lee Jordan, the GM of racing at the VRC. Lee, it's uh, hello to you. One,
3: wonderful to be here, Gary. So I don't know where I sit—if mixed bottom uh, or mm. top. I don't know. Anyway, I'm somewhere. But no, great to be You're here and good to chat about. Uh, you know what a what a great carnival we're we're, we're experiencing. It's uh, terrific. So looking forward to chatting with the guys.
1: You're all equals to me. And our next <laughs> guest has come a long way to see our carnival once again. The chief racing writer for the Racing Post. Lee Mottershead, it's a hello to you, Lee.
4: Good hello to you, too. Uh, really excited to be here. Love this place, love this city, love this race meeting. Very excited.
1: Now, we've got a dilemma to kick it all off. We've got two Lee's, Sharky. So, you've made a decision to call Lee Mottershead Mottie. And we'll, yeah, because, let's go with Mottie. Yeah, Mottie. Yeah. Mottie's, Mottie's come dressed for a holiday, too. Yeah, just him. I'm not sure you. if he's here to work or what. He's I've got, got Maureen Shaw's on. That's <laughs> You need a little bit of a tan. Our listeners can't see you, but you are as white as a ghost. He's got well, the moon tan. I'm white at the moment. We had a, a holiday
4: in France this year during the hottest week of the year in France, and we had this decision with we'd go canoeing down the Dordogne. <laughs> and I misjudged how hard it is to canoe down a river, and I thought I'd be okay. But I arrived almost in tears eventually, and you've never seen two knees as red as mine were when we got to this bridge it was it, they're never a pretty sight we might get
1: you canoeing down the yarra okay yep. okay
4: i'm not up for that
1: lee jordan you've been covering the melbourne cup carnival for so many years now how many years would this year be
4: ah uh, look it's been
3: a, i've actually been in the industry for some 35 yeah. years i first started off at the vrc some 34 35 years ago and um, you know, was there for ten years, went over to Racing Vic, then went out on my own for ten years and come all the way back. So I've I've been there for a while, so I uh, might be classified as a dinosaur now, maybe. <laughs> on the
1: eve of the carnival. Wow. What? It's a positive <laughs> start, isn't it? <laughs> I just would give you something something <laughs> to hang it on me, Mick. On the eve of the carnival, mate, what, what do you look forward to most? Oh,
3: it's just, it's a fantastic week. i I mean, uh, just reminiscing there. You know, I, 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 grew up in a family where, you know, you'd, you have chicken and champagne in the morning and you wake up and, uh, you go out in the backyard, the great weather, and you'd have the TV all set up there in the garden and, uh, uh, open the champagne, the chicken, get the form guide out, uh, do all your sweeps, get the neighbourhood around, you know, it was just, it's just one of those days. It's an iconic day. It's a, it's a, it's a traditional day. It's, uh, one of the best.
1: Motti, did it surprise you when you first arrived from the UK and experienced one of our carnivals? Yeah,
4: well, you sort of, you're back home, you know this phrase, a race that stops the nation. Yeah. So, but you, but it's, it's, you think of it largely as a marketing spin line, a PR line. But then you get here. And I remember the thing that struck me most in the first year, which was 2013, was just walking down, down Swanson Street and seeing all, all the flags, all the banners, all the interests. Um, I, that 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 blew me away. And I'd, I'd not experienced anything before where uh, a town, a city, a community had that sort of ownership over a horse racing event. You know, we've got Lowe's back home. We've got, you know, Cheltenham Festival, Alaska, etc. But only really you probably said the Grand National, which is our equivalent Melbourne Cup race. It's it's, it's, the, it's the by far the biggest betting race, by far the biggest public interest race in the country. Only that really has with Liverpool where it staged, that same sense of ownership, that same sense mm. of pride that we stayed at Grand National. So to come over here for the first time and see that sense of pride and ownership and community and the way in which the race is really within the DNA of the people here, it was incredibly invigorating.
3: It, it's, it's, fun, it's funny when you when you say that Leek is obviously being involved with the internationals and you see them come over and exactly what you're saying, they can't get over. Mm. The build up to the race, how the city takes in the race, the parade. The parade is probably the biggest thing for the internationals and you've been in it and they can't get over how they block off you know the main main street of the town. And uh, they're all going down there. Thousands of people each side of the road cheering and whatever. And and the internationals. Well, it doesn't happen anywhere else around the
4: world. No, just and we've we've, we've spoken at home. We've yeah. at home about this about whether you could have a parade the night before the Grand National, the Derby, and, and the problem is with that sort of thing, you can't create it. No, it's either there or it's not If it's in you, it's there. But you can't to do it at home. It would seem false, and it yeah. just yeah. wouldn't work
2: because the very idea is quite ludicrous that you block off a main CBD street mm. to parade people and past winners of a horse race yeah it, it it's the idea yeah. is not quite right but we just accept it as oh no that's what we do yeah absolutely yeah. what we're gonna go to the parade what? yeah of and course yeah yeah that's what we yeah. do
1: and it does wonders for the racing game because what that enables um the racing industry to do is promote its heroes so kids there might yes. see their favorite horse for the first time they get to meet craig williams or damian oliver or um one of the great trainers and they can try and be like that they can see their heroes and dream of one day being a part of that parade and and on that joe mcgrath does a wonderful job at the vrc the keeper of the melbourne cup because when i've been in other parts of australia and you probably guys have seen in other parts of the world that melbourne cup that tour where you get a legend of the melbourne cup go and talk to young kids go to aged care facilities go to schools have a chat about what the Melbourne Cup means to Australians. I think that's a wonderful initiative that the VRC has been able to set up
3: yeah, Joe, Joe does a great job and he fits in very well at the old people's home, actually. <laughs> yeah, so, but he, he does a great job. Joe, you know, you know he's getting sideswiped. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> he's you're next, mate. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's great, isn't it? And I've, I've actually been on tour with it, and it's amazing. You know, the cup has actually got its own passport yeah. for flying around the world <laughs> and whatever. And it's quite bizarre to go with it through the through security and whatever. But now you're right. It means, when you, and when you see people just at Sale Races uh, last week and we took the cup there, and just the amount of people that want to come up, and take a photo with it is quite staggering and uh, they really get a buzz.
2: But that's the importance, the the growing importance of that tour but also the parade, as we mentioned, is the relevance because as we've lost racehorses and racing from suburbia, Caulfield, you know, there's no more suburban stables, Flemington, they're gone. You know, you think about how things were as recent as 15 or 20 years ago with horses being walked two tracks down suburban streets. We don't have that anymore they're hidden away they're in tracks they're behind fences we need to have relevant touch points like horses in the main street to remind people that there is a history here that we're proud of but also there's a history that's important to the the cultural face of this town
1: yeah and And to take
2: that you know the cup around australia it does that as well it's brilliant
1: and the melbourne cup has been part of australia since its first ever running in 1861 and they tell me lee there was only four thousand people there But how quickly did that crowd grow over the years? And I was having a chat to Joe McGrath the other day and he said that the Melbourne Cup for the people of Australasia basically was a meeting point. So everybody around the country would travel their horses or pack up their bags and head to Melbourne for a little bit of a holiday and they would all meet at the Cup.
3: No, you're right. I said I was a dinosaur, but I didn't see the first running (laughs) after Gareth, but... um yeah no, you're right though but uh, or Joe probably did yeah. um, but no it is it's great isn't it and and to get crowds like we do uh, on Cup day and just the way people you know have traditionally as I said before the chicken and champagne the yeah. picnics and all that so it's a thing for people to come together and if they're not at the track the amount of millions of people around not not just in Melbourne but around Australia I mean we get the the biggest crowds at other racecourses at Randwick at Doombin, um, all, around, all around Australia, they get massive crowds um, based off, uh, you know, the Melbourne Cup because the race meeting on those days aren't, you know, they're just sort of run-of-the-mill meetings. But people just get involved... In the whole Melbourne Cup tradition and the atmosphere, it purely is an iconic event.
1: This is the VRC Melbourne Cup Carnival Preview Podcast with Gareth Hall, Mick Sharkey, Lee Jordan, the GM of Racing at the VRC, and Lee Mottershead, head, or Motty, <laughs> to our friends here at the Racing Post, from the Racing Post. Guys, before we take our first break, who's the biggest name guest outside of racing, in your eyes, that the VRC have invited? This is a question without notice, to the Melbourne Cup Carnival can you remember that, that, one that
2: they've invited or that's turned oh, up? oh that's
1: turned up because Wait, sometimes you know it's more than just a race isn't it it's the fashion stakes it's the bird oh, cage uh, with the celebrities yeah. rocking up
3: I'll, I'll i'll pop one in there there was about 10 odd years ago yeah. uh rod fitzroy was the chairman and rod had a great big knack of uh at the chairman's dinner bringing out some of the real real big names and i was fortunate enough to go along there and uh Witness Pavarotti No, that's, that, that probably and does everyone there. I've got to say, it must have been right at the end of his career because I think they had to wheel him in. <laughs> he did a couple and they wheeled him out. Shirley Bassey, he had one, one year. She was uh, oh, Shirley Bassey, yeah, yeah.
4: She was all right. <laughs> yeah. Two of so, my
2: favourites, definitely uh, Kate Upton, the uh, uh, what is it, Sports Illustrated swimsuit model yep. that year. I was... It's a surprise Grateful for that But also Snoop Dogg I think (laughs) He was my favourite It's not really An international event Until Snoop Has rolled in And just Given his blessing To it I think (laughs) After that It's like having Royal Randwick Or Royal Flemington Or whatever You want to put a royal In front of it I think once it's been snooped Then it's legit
1: Paris Hilton was mine I was person. in love with Carrie. <laughs> <Ellison. laughs> it was bizarre when yeah. she turned up. She
2: didn't say anything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> she just stood there looking awkward. Yeah. yeah.
4: What about you, Lee? Can you uh, remember I one? I remember 2013 yeah. being in the Emirates. It was the Emirates uh, box lounge in the in the birdcage? Yeah. You're dropping hands already. Yeah, and they, yeah. they had the <laughs> list of who was turning up, and their star guest was Jerry Halliwell. Yeah. And there was this, this sort of this almost military precision thing about sort of Jerry's 200 meters away. Jerry's approaching. And then Jerry approached, and it was incredibly <laughs> underwhelming. So disappointing. You know, for a start, she, there's not much of Jerry Halliwell. Yeah. And what there is, is a bit
1: underwhelming. Was she a bigger <laughs> disappointment than o- Oscar Shinlan when he turned up all oh, those oh, years ago? We oh, came yeah. back. we're going yeah. back a long way then, aren't we? What was that? Was that 1996. It was. And I remember Brian Martin calling because Kevin Prendergast was the trainer. And there was a story behind Kevin Prendergast that was that I was from a small country town in Victoria called Birchip. Kevin Prendergast, um, his daughter used to babysit me in Birchip because. <laughs> Um, one of the Bircher boys went to Ireland, met Kevin Prendergast's daughter. They got married and moved back to the farm. And Kevin Prendergast, as you would well know, yeah. Moddy." He, he doesn't really speak to the media too no, much. No, he didn't say no. All, no, no. And everybody, this Oscar was the, the biggest name really to come out here for quite a while and was the favourite for the Cup. And uh, who won that year? Ooh. Was it Saint? No, it wasn't Saintly. I don't know. It was in it, 96. No, it. Yeah. We'll, f- we'll, f- we'll, think of, we'll think about it before the end of the podcast. We need to take our first break. And on the other side of it here, on the VRC Melbourne Cup Carnival Preview Podcast, we will concentrate on my favourite day of the carnival, Derby Day. The history of the Melbourne Cup.
0: Fantastic Enzagalia. Maccabi Diva in front. She's Archie, tries hard, but Maccabi Diva wins the Cup. It's Maccabi Diva.
4: It's life-changing. It's all those things that all those things that people say. It is. It's our holy grail. You want one, don't you? You really want one, and then when you, when you get one, you get that buzz, and you want another ring on your finger. But it's the emotion, the feelings. It's you can't describe it to people.
0: Celebrating Australia's greatest race.
1: Welcome back to the VRC Melbourne Cup Carnival Preview Podcast with Gareth Hall, Mick Sharkey, Lee Monteshead or Motty from Modishead. the Racing Post, and Lee Jordan, the GM of Racing here at the VRC. Derby Day, four Group Ones. It's a day for the purest where we see the best horses in the country do battle over um, different distances. We have the three-year-olds, the sprinters. We have it all. Basically, we 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 may be, we might even see the melbourne cup winner on derby day uh lee what's your is is this your favorite day derby day
3: yeah cuz i mean four group 1s um, and it's also got the intrigue of, of the lexus hotham stakes yeah. um, so you've got those horses wanting to get that final Spot, and I suppose we've sort of gone away from the tradition of running on the Saturday and backing up. I mean, shocking probably the most notable one recently that did that, but it it builds that drama. So you sort of you know uh, kick off with a couple of races, and then you know the 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 Lexus Hothams around race three or four, and you, you're building for that excitement. You know who who can get in, and then you go bang into the you know to the four group ones. You know the cool more. Mm. The three-year-old championship uh, for for sprinters now, um, the, the the candy can which is our premium mile event, and sort of growing, we lifted it to two million dollars. Um, and then you know you've got the VRC Derby itself worth two million. And I think it's been really strong this year. And then we've lifted the Empire Rose, the Group One Mayor's race, uh, to a million dollars. And Melody Bell, the champion New Zealand has come over. Um, so it just it just got it's got everything yeah. on it. Um, and uh, yeah, but it's just a great day. You're
2: sure. also the architect of the Cantala-McKinnon oh. change too, weren't you? Which has been one of the more profound breaks well, with tradition that the VRC's well,
1: before. Before we get Lee's um, opinion of that, do you like the idea, Mick?
2: Do I like it? Yes. Of course, yeah, I like You're it. Oh, next that's to the, the right run. answer. He's got a good sort of right you, hook what? as well, Lee. Why so do I like it as
1: a punter and an owner.
2: I just think the pattern. Works better. It's more sensible. Yeah, Yeah. because Look, it gives us, not only does it give us a a second chance at seeing the horses come through the Cox Plate and race again during the biggest race week of the year uh, in the McKinnon on the last day, but I just think there's something about a feature race, Group 1, Big Field, Handicap on a major race day. It's just synonymous with Australian racing. I think it fits so well on Derby Day amongst those other Group 1s. And it's uh, it, you know, it's been one of my favourite punting races for many years, and I'm stoked it's there on day
3: one.
1: What was the idea behind it, Lee? Well, I think
3: as we just said before, there was uh, this growing trend away from running on the Saturday and backing up, and obviously the McKinnon was there yeah. on the Saturday, and in the last ten years before he shifted it, it was it was less and less running in that race, and it was sort of you know becoming a sort of a glorified trial. Um, you know, for horses, and it was a week after the Cox Plate. It just didn't quite fit, and as Mick said, it was logical to put it back a week um, so you could get horses out of out of the Cox Plate. And that was the main thinking, and um, it's interesting because I know this is the first running this year without Winks, and probably the last two years. It only had two years. This will be its third year, but... I, it's interesting some patterns because we're getting some three-year-olds mm. targeting as well, which you probably didn't think about that from the start. So it's an intriguing race in that you'll pick up some cox-plate horses. Unfortunately, this year, you know, a lot of the cox-plate horses have, you know, uh, either pulled up not quite right or going straight off to the paddock. But, you know, it will keep developing. We'll get a few out of there, probably get a three-year-old, you know, maybe not going to the derby or coming through another race. Uh, maybe something from the candy can or back up. So in the end, it becomes a bit of an intriguing race because you've got all these different little form lines coming, in, yeah. coming into the final day. So I think it's, it's a really good feature now on that final day with the sprint.
1: What about if you're Bart Cummings and you, you want to have a lead-up race on that Saturday for your Melbourne Cup, Melbourne Cup horse? Or is it 2019 and that just doesn't happen anymore unless you're trying to qualify?
3: Well, yeah, the way the program is, you know, it doesn't it no. sort of doesn't happen. And and like the Lexus uh, Hotham's there over, you know, over distance over over twenty five hundred, so you can you know throw that last um, uh, at, yeah. you know, last start at the board. But um, yeah, and I think now the lead ups are more, you know, the week before and uh, Corfield Cup, and sometimes or even before that, uh, you know, we'll see surprise baby, you know, running the Bart Cummings and then have his next start. So, um, things are changing.
1: And Monty, I, I guess for from a journalist perspective coming from the UK, the Hotham is the race that's the big story for you. Last yep. year, Prince of Aaron for Charlie Fellows raced his way into a Melbourne Cup for a trainer that we didn't know too much of here on Australia before that victory, but all of a sudden after the Melbourne Cup, Charlie was one of our, our was one of my favourite stories of last year's carnival.
4: Yeah, it was. I mean he was obviously jubilant and ecstatic after that one. And I, I I do like the idea of this this last chance saloon to get into the Marlborough yeah. cup it just gives that race which in itself is a you know perfectly good race but it gives that extra added dimension that you can still break into the race of course it also adds the drama that one gets one in but it takes one out as well which adds to the the drama yeah. and to the day itself one thing I I, I do like about it is, is back home one of my um one of my sort of flags I wave a lot is that I I do love racing like the Cantala over here. I, I do really like group one handicaps. Yeah. Now back home, that would, you know, whenever I suggest it, it goes down like a very, very heavy lead balloon. There's a, <laughs> there's that sense of snobbery back home that if it's a group one, group one race is going to bestow black type onto horses, which is, you know, what the, what the best horses get to, to advertise their way as it stood. They should be racing on, on level terms. I love the idea that you can have that chance of, of winning a group one, getting five, six pounds from the horse. And we have it back home as well over jumps. Some of the, our, our best jumps races are handicaps. And in some ways, that it's the ultimate test of a horse. You know, we the the back home, probably the most famous racehorse who ever lived was a horse called Arkle. Yeah. It was a supreme steeplechase of the 1960s. And he used to give stones lumps of weight away to, to horses who in other years would be winning you know, Gold Cups are the biggest races. I, I, I love that sort of sense of a real test. Can that mm. horse give £10 to the up-and-coming young star? Yeah.
3: So it's probably uh, no use me raising that we're actually looking at changing it to Wait for Age and moving it to the final day. So oh. I think that's probably gone out the door. Listen to you <laughs> one guys. One good move, one bad <laughs> move. Lee, come on. No,
1: that's no, <laughs> good. And when you look at the card, okay, in the first race, the sprint race, Satori's been competitive at Group One level. The second race is the Wait for, which is the traditional lead up towards the Oaks on the Thursday. Flits one of the best fillies that we're seeing this year. Dallasan goes around in the Carbine Club Stakes. That was The favourite for the Caulfield Guineas. Um, The Hotham Stakes, we had a chat about that. The Empire Rose, we see Melody Bell, the Star Kiwi. Um, And then race six is the Cornwall Stud Stakes. Now, we need to stop and talk about this race. Lee, this has nearly become my favourite race on Derby Day. This is a stallion-making race. There's a lot up for um, grabs here if your three-year-old, especially if he's a stallion, can win the Cornwall Stud Stakes, and what about this year's field? No, it, it's
3: really it's developed, hasn't it? Yeah, it's just it's just really come on the race, and we've increased the prize money this year to one point five. Uh, there's actually a few bonuses applied across the the, the day on Saturday, and um, in this race, there's two horses, Little Contra and Brooklyn Hustle, that uh, ran in the uh, Blue Sapphire that are going for a half a million dollar bonus as well if they win. So. There's there's some added you know a bit of added intrigue to the race as well, but as you said, it's really becoming a stallion making race, and it's uh, becoming a, it's just developed into a massive feature on the day.
1: Well, We got horses that could have been targeted at some of the other races during the carnivals, but no, we need to go the Coolmore. The Coolmore is our grand final because it's the race that can that, that can make us basically as a stallion.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, as you said, like, Bivouac uh, ran the Manicata. I think they were thinking about maybe going to the final day. Yep. But they've elected to come here. So, um, no, it's yeah, yeah. no, it's an intriguing race. Yeah, it's an intriguing race, there's no doubt. And uh, last year we had it as uh, race five. It's actually first leg of the Quadrilla, and uh, we've sort of elevated because it really is um, just, you know, a, a super race on the day. Uh, interesting, I mean, the, the tab stakes you mentioned, the Group 2 Sprinter, it's just unfortunate just suffered from, from the volume of sprinting races we've got through this period. And I was actually just looking before, from the start of October through to the, to the last day of the carnival, we'll have something like between Vic and New South Wales, nine premier sprint races, wow. um, six black type, and we've got the Everest and others. And I just think in, in five-week period to have nine feature sprint races we just and i think the tab stakes are suffering yeah. from, from that it's unfortunate and probably something we got to look at to get our pattern right but you just can't you know talking to trainers you just can't run your horses that many times. So we just don't have that many horses uh, something's got to give there
1: this is the vrc melbourne cup carnival preview podcast with mick sharkey lee Mottershead, head lee jordan and gareth hall okay mick i'll put you on the spot because you are the man that we've paid the big bucks for a tip on Derby Day. Right. Have you got one for us? Just one that you think we need to be having something each way on that galloper.
2: Listen, I think there's two horses you can back outside of the favourite in the Derby.
1: Okay, you're one taking of... on the New South Wales star. Yeah, I am. Uh, I think we've just... Which is shadow hero, of course. Australian putters
2: tend to be very um, swayed by the market. Yes. You know, you see the market, you think, oh, it's $1.50, therefore it must win. You know, Shadow Hero is a very good horse, but so sole patch. And if you watched that Amy Vars last week, I don't know if it's the Amy Vase anymore, but whatever it is now, uh, he was supreme yep. that last 150 metres and through the line was the best part of his race. I don't think there's any issue with him running 2,500 metres and he's drawn to get a really soft run two from two. So uh, I think he's the horse to beat. And at each wilds in that same race is warning. Now thought of that has been much spoken about In the last few days, jockey changes and everything else. But he has had two of the best lead runs that you've seen in your life at its last two starts, where they have left this horse alone in the middle stages, and he's gotten away with running 13.5-second sectionals for the furlongs. It's no surprise that he's been able to kick that last 400. It really is no surprise. Warning chased him last time. I thought there was much more depth to his sectional times, and being by declaration of war out of a Galileo mare. Really starting to see some of the declaration of war stock come on here. Uh, I think he's a great chance in the race.
1: Okay, Sharks, I like that confidence. Um do you like lo- are you looking forward to one particular race, Lee?
3: Yes, and I'm gonna have this is gonna be a massive plug here, Gareth. Yes. But um race one, the tab stakes. Yeah. The reason why I'm suggesting that I'm suggesting you should all get on course for this race. Okay. Nice. Because if you're there and you've got your TAB app on. Yes. And you're betting through your TAB account. If you put $50 on any horse in that race, the time you put the $50 on... Another fifty dollar bonus bet goes into your account, no matter whether a horse oh, wins or down. loses. This is good news. Yes. Yeah. Okay, this is so really good news. So that is my tip. <laughs> oh, my yeah. tip is you've got to be on course because with the geo fencing technology, money. love it, um, mate. I thought I was a dinosaur, but I'm right up to this geo fencing technology. Geo fencing technology. Open up your app. Fifty dollars on, fifty goes in straight away. It doesn't matter the wins, losers, whatever. That's my tip. He's been practicing that out the back. Yep. He said feating technologies every time.
1: Hey, Mighty here we I like downdraft. I think it can win the Hotham.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean just, Joseph's got a, a huge yeah. um a huge challenge this year. Um it, funny if it, it it's what what we're seeing here is emulated he's replicated in the Breeders' Cup as well. The two O'Brien's Joseph and Aidan. They're just becoming such a... Powerhouse. Well, I mean, Aidan already, already was yeah. a powerhouse, but they, they, they are dominating international challenges for these big meetings. And Joseph's really embracing it. Helped, obviously, by the Williams uh, the Williams team and other owners. Um, but yeah, I think he'd have a big chance. Um, I think as well, just, just with the whole derby, whenever you have a derby, there's something special. Obviously, you, they're, they're all... They're all named after the one at Epsom. Um, and the great thing about that race is it, it, it's, it's still what it always was, a mile and a half group one. And I heard a bit of chat on the, on the radio this week about debate, about should the derby over here go back to a mile and a quarter? Worst possible thing you could ever do. If you, if you want to have any hope of, of breeding stayers to, to lop two furlongs, off the, as they did in France is just a disastrous move. You've, you've, you, you don't put the, the cart before the horse. You know, a the, the derby is a mile and a half, group one test. And you start bringing it down in distance, you might as well wave a white flag and say, we don't want to win a Melbourne Cup with an Australian horse again because we're just going to go for speed.
2: And the movement of the McKinnon to that final day as we saw with Extra Brute last year going there and I think there are yeah. others that may go there particularly when we have stronger editions of the Guineas they have that 2,000 metre group one option that's right, a Wait for age so you're getting yeah. a pretty good yeah. uh, allowance off the older horses and I think beating the older horses at weight for age is probably worth more to yeah. you you know than, than, than winning a race so if, if stallion value is your is your game plan and that seems to drive a lot of the uh, the chatter about moving the distance back well there's a race for you too yeah, at the, the end also, of the carnival
4: you, you the breeding industry exists to produce racehorses. The racing industry isn't there to produce stallions. That's a great point. You know, you, you've got
1: to get the right order. And the mm. biggest story throughout Cup Week already isn't about the Melbourne Cup. It's about a replacement jockey. <laughs> Thought of that, Maher and David Eustace won brilliantly at its last two starts. Was ridden by Linda Meach. Now she's been replaced by Mark Zara. And it has melted down talkback radio right throughout this country. It's on the front and back pages of all of our major papers. Yeah. So good luck to thought of that. Everybody, I wonder if it'll drift in the market for the supporters of Linda and, and then some might back it if they, if, if they wanted to win. But it has caused debate for the derby. What
4: have you made of it? Always a, I mean, as a news guy whose job is telling stories, it's a great story. Yeah. Of course, it, it was helped by the fact that Michelle Payne is quite a shy reticent lady who doesn't yep. like to enter into <laughs> any sort of public debate. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a good story. Linda Meach was, was talking at the races about how she now hopes horse will lose, which yeah. sort of further, yeah. fires up, further fires up the story. and it, But it adds on to this narrative as well about the the, the position of women jockeys within the sport.
1: I think it's sometimes about the loyalty as well, but it's, yeah. it's reality TV, radio, come to the Melbourne Cup carnival already because it's got Joe Blow in the pub talking yeah. about it. He might not even have a bet, but he'll be watching that race to see if thought of that wins.
3: So it's interesting. I see Michelle Payne's been fined $1,000. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, she
1: called the, the owner Bray Sikosky a pig yeah. and then she took it down. Bray responded on radio the next day and she was fined. I think fair enough by racing victoria Stewart's, do you think mick
2: i think if she's seen to break the rules of racing then yeah there has yeah. to be some sort of punishment but it just descended into a <laughs> bit of a it circus was, it was
1: really. a circus it is yeah pigs and quite quite
4: gentle if you're going to insult yeah. someone calling them a pig yeah. Yeah. it's 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 a bit like sort of saying golly gosh you rotter yeah it's not <laughs> it's not <laughs> particularly what's venomous what's
1: the worst you've yeah. been called michael
4: I know this is a
3: podcast, Gareth, but
1: that's that's pretty strong.
3: But Gareth, you know, one thing is yeah. I'll be in the mounting yard and I'll be selling tickets. I think it'll be, yeah. it'll be that'll be the place to yeah. be, I think.
1: Time for a quick break here on the VRC Melbourne Cup Carnival Preview Podcast. It's great to be with you. On the other side of it, we'll talk about that great race, the country's greatest race, the Melbourne Cup. The history of the Melbourne Cup.
0: We get ready for the race and go out. And I'll never forget this because when I walked out, I thought well a trainer will come and give me instructions and I'll meet the owner and I went out and George Hanlon had I think four runners in the race or something and he never spoke to me, I never met the owner before the race, I never had any instructions and I'd never seen the horse before and there was number 16 I'll never forget it and that's all I ever see of Piping Lane was the side that I got on, the back of his ears and his mane. I never got the padding. I never got to thank him and I came in and everyone in Melbourne knew me and I had that many mothers and fathers and uncles and aunties and down by the rails. It was like, when I went out there it was like going through the Sahara Desert and coming back it was like walking through Times Square in New York. Piping Lane getting a split, Piping Lane races up to peak, takes the lead in the Cup, out wide is guns in Stormy seas, but Piping Lane's going to win the Cup. Celebrating Australia's greatest race. unbelievable unbelievable it's it, the hype the build-up look at you all sitting here today you get it nowhere else in australia you get it nowhere else in the world so many people turning up in the cold to watch the horses go around it doesn't happen anywhere else except in melbourne and when you drive in from the airport all the flags flying and the pictures of the horses you know you just feel so in, it's so infectious and us sitting here, chattering away about it. You know, it's, it's just great. And the great horses that come here because of the internationals.
1: It's really great. Gay Waterhouse, the first lady of racing in this country, talking about the Melbourne Cup, and she's right. It's the race that stops the nation. It's our greatest race. And Lee, it's more than than a horse race. The Melbourne Cup.
3: No, no, you're you're right. And as we said before, it's it's. Uh... It's a holiday um, here in Victoria, but you know all around Australia, people are, uh, you know, in schools. Uh, the The races run before the final bell goes, and they'll sit in uh, sit in the school and watch yeah. the race. And um, it just uh, people are having parties and uh, they're having barbecues. And, uh, you know, as I said before, leading up to the race, there's no town, I don't think, in the world that takes in a race with flags, with, um, you know, the the coverage it gets in the papers, people talking about it in the shopping centres. All all the shops are are all donned out with uh, spring carnival merchandise, etc. It's just the whole town gets involved.
1: Let's hear from the trainer of the favourite at the moment, Constantinople, David Hayes, talking about the Great Melbourne Cup.
3: The Melbourne Cup's an interesting one because it's our world-class race. It's the it's race if, <clears throat> all over the world. Um, if you tell people you're a horse trainer and often they'll say, it's incredible, have you won
1: the Melbourne Cup? It's yeah. nice to say, well, yes, I have, uh, <laughs> even though it was 25 years ago. The last time I won it, I, it was announced that I was going to Hong Kong that year. And uh, it would be nice if, and I'm favourite to do it again. So it every year, <laughs> every 25 years, maybe it was a tactical error for these 25 years. <laughs> so Lindsay Park and David Hayes have two chances in the Cup. Constantinople, which is the current favourite, and Rostropovich, who is a roughie in this year's Great Race. First to you, first to you, Monty. Can can he win Constantinople? He
4: definitely can win, but I think the problem with Constantinople is probably Constantinople. Um, he's a very good horse, and he's got loads of talent. And I've been watching him through the year in Europe because, of course, again, this is another example of it's. He's a big Aussie hope, but he's basically a European horse that's just joined a new stable over here. Royal Ascot, I backed him for a, a big mile and a half handicap for three-year-olds, and he just don't remind me of that day. Uh, it's, 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 it was painful for me as well. He I mean, was he, home. He came there to win his race, yeah. and then when he when he had to decide do want to do this. He was like, okay, mate, I don't really want to do this. And that was, that's been repeated. He he ran at York behind logician, who went on to the ledger. He didn't look that keen that day. If you're being kind, you say he is, he's a young horse. He's a three-year-old. He's a big horse. He's not grown into himself yet. He's still, he's still growing. He's still green. He's, he's a work in progress. If you're being unkind, you say he just doesn't want to go through the pain barrier and he doesn't really like Mm -hmm. a fight. Now, I looked at the Caulfield Cup and you can make the same argument. You can say he was unlucky or you can say when push came to shove, he didn't want to really give give his all. And in a 24-runner handicap over two miles, you've got to give, if not your all, you've got to give most of it.
1: And Johnny Murtagh was saying basically the same, Mm. that he's not a fan of Constantinople because he's not a winner. He's finished second a few times, but he just doesn't know how to win and he likes winners. Shark, I'll I'll be fascinated to get your insight. I know it's up to you if you want to give everything away, but you're part of a syndication we spiced thoroughbreds. Mm. You would have been offered horses like Constantinople and a horse by the name of Southern France. What kind of money are we talking about to buy these horses off Coolmore so they can compete in a Melbourne Cup?
2: Well, a few years ago, Gareth and having bought these horses over for coming on ten years now, yeah, like a million dollars used to be a lot of money. Uh, it's you get your Group Three horse now. You know, it's significant seven-figure sums is what you're paying for these horses now. Mm. And you have to think... Is it worth it? It's been nearly impossible to buy horses from Ballydoyle in previous years unless you're Lloyd Williams. Now, suddenly, southern France and Constantinople have been let go by that team there's probably a reason why they got let go they've been let go. And it's something they've noticed in their makeup, in their work, in their races, as Lee's saying about Constantinople, and it's it's a great point made there, that they've seen that they think that's a weakness. You still have significant market value. Yeah, They're traders, they're horse traders. That's what they do. Yeah. They buy and sell. It's a risk management game. They've looked at it and said, you know what? This offer here for this horse is too good to knock back given our assessment of the horse and that's what you're doing when you buy any tried horse there is a point where the owner says okay I'm prepared to let go of him now Mm. sometimes you cannot buy a horse from an owner they've either got more money than anybody and they just are in love and infatuated with that animal but more often than not there's a little point that they keep coming back to that says that horse doesn't go past other horses or he's had a little niggle there that keeps bobbing up on hard tracks or he's got this or he's got that and they let him go. It's a it's a risky game. There's no guarantee when you're buying a proven group class horse from Europe that he's going to come here and, and win group one races or even earn your money back.
1: It's it's tough. I was doing some videos of these Melbourne Cup horses from Europe there last night. They seem to race together a lot. But it's they beat each other one week. The next week, the other horse beats them. Different tracks, um, different surfaces... Different countries they race in, it's very difficult to line up the form.
3: Yeah, it, it is Gareth, and I, I think I've seen when I was doing work at Werribee, the amount of horses that come out here and improve. Yeah, and that's the other hex you factor you've the got the to form put for in, that, can you? Um, I mean, Lee head would uh, see Prince of Aaron back in the UK. He's a totally different horse out here. Yeah, I think he just loves to travel, and uh, you know, he, he's a classic. And uh, through the years, I've seen it where horses just improve. Yeah. um and it could be the environment uh where it's t- totally different uh they may be coming from busy environments and it's it's a bit more relaxed down at where so it's 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 interesting so you've got to take you got yeah. sum up the form and then how do they travel? The first thing you've probably got to think is when they get off the the plane how do they travel and you know, have they given them the necessary fluids, got them back on track it's like anyone if you travel a long distance how do you you know how do you front up even as a human being? Um, so the same with the horses so how do they get over that then how do they settle in so you've got to do the form plus all that other factor as well so it's not easy it's not easy for the internationals traveling a lot of people sort of you know bemoan the internationals but i tell you they they pay their way it's a pretty costly experience to come to the melbourne carpet they're you know they're paying anywhere from 150,000 upwards and they've got to run in the first 12 to get a return so it's you know they're, they're putting their
4: money on the line so um, to be asked. You look at as well how many in the last few years have done that, have paid that hundred and fifty grand plus and haven't even raced the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. You know, something's yeah. gone wrong before they've even got there. So it it is a it's a huge risk.
1: This is before the barrier draw on a market with tab. Constantinople's around the seven dollar quote. Murder Glace, the Japanese star who won the Caulfield Cup last start, looking to be the 12th horse to complete that Melbourne Cup, Caulfield Cup double at $8. Finch is at $11. Cross counter, the defending champ at $13. Surprise baby at $13. El Paradiso is the horse that probably fits the criteria of the Northern Hemisphere three year old with no weight on its back at $13. Vow and Declare is the big Australian hope that was basically bred in this country or bred in New Zealand. Trained by Danny O'Brien, who's been with the halls from day one, it's at $13. Prince of Arran's an Australian specialist at 17 and then Raymond Tusk at that $17. Before I get your thoughts, boys, and maybe an early tip for the great race... One of the most successful jockeys in the Melbourne Cup is Karen McAvoy. In fact, a couple of jockeys there. Damien Oliver has ridden four Melbourne Cup winners. And I think Glen Boss, well, it'll be interesting to see if he rides. That will be drama right up to basically Melbourne Cup Eve, whether he can get his suspension lifted or he can win in his appeal so he can ride on, on Melbourne Cup day. He's booked to ride Constantinople and Joe Murray is on standby. But the other jockey that's had a wonderful time... Of it in the Melbourne Cup is Kara McAvoy and this is what he had to say when asked about the great race.
3: You know by then whether you've had a good run, a bad run, or otherwise. So, um, but yeah, I've been lucky enough to, to um, have rounded the corner and still have a lap full of horse left. So, it is a great feeling. Um, you, your, your senses are alive and uh, and kicking. That's
0: for sure. And um, you know you're, you're honing in on what's around you. Um, there's there's a little bit of vocals, but not too much. And you're just trying to time your run. It's obviously a long straight there at the end of two miles. So. Um, I've been
4: lucky enough to have a good a good horse at the top of the straight with with plenty left to give, and um, it, it's an electric feeling, that's for sure. Those, those last two furlongs.
1: Lee, what This is an interesting horse, Finch, who Cara McAvoy rides there on Tuesday, because this horse is trained by Chris Wall, and he's achieved nearly everything in racing, but he's yet to win a Melbourne Cup. And Finch was fourth in last year's Cup.
4: Yeah, I, I think he's got a huge chance. He's the one I've been backing um, in the build-up. I think he's. Got a really obvious chance, and yet he's it, it, still a, a really backable price. Um, last year, he went into the race on his second run since coming over from France. He ran a lovely Melbourne Cup. He finished fourth, but for all the world looked Like A Horse, who would be better in 12 months' time. Since then, Waller, who is a genius, I'm in awe of Chris Waller, has clearly set out his stall for one race, and that being the case, I think his preparation, for me, has just enhanced his claims. run a smashing race in the Turnbull, some people thought his Caulfield Cup run lessened his Melbourne Cup chance. I don't see why. I thought he ran perfectly well. Um, and I, I think he is the one that the Euros have to beat. Shucks. And the Japanese have to beat as well.
1: I, I like... I'm backing two horses early doors. And we'll discuss the Melbourne Cup later in the week as well. But I like Glaze because I think even though there's a question mark over him staying two miles, the way that he won the Caulfield Cup was so impressive... And Valda and Declare, the horse that finished second to him in the Caulfield Cup that's currently at $13. So I'm with the Caulfield Cup form. Am I on the money or not?
2: You may well be. Uh, I think this will be a strong run, Melbourne Cup.
1: Who leads then? Where do you see the pace?
2: I could see a horse like Hunting Horn perhaps going forward or Twilight mm. Payment. Or Master of something. Reality. Any number of horses yeah. could go forward. But I, <laughs> I keep coming back to that trio and thinking one of those might might go and lead. Uh I'm working around three horses pre-barrier draw. I've been on Surprise Baby since May. I think he's, uh, he potentially could be a freak stayer. If you're winning an Adelaide Cup at Group 2 level at your 6th start, and then you're winning a Group 2 at your 10th start, not, not winning it, but he was running right mm. away from those horses in the Bark Cummings. I know it's listed grade and everything else, but we haven't seen in the staying races so far this spring a horse that's been dominant and that's pulled right away. He did that in that race. And I think there's more to come from him. So he's sort of my top seed at the moment. Latrobe is the other one. I think his whole season in the UK has been geared towards this race. And they've maintained a really competitive handicap this year for him while keeping him definitely in the field. And the horse from left field that we've not heard anything about, as far as reports from Werribee are concerned, and they avoided the run in the Caulfield Cup, and I've got an inkling it's because he's going very well and he didn't need the run, is Raymond Tusk. And this horse's form ties in with the Ebor. ball runs well in a Caulfield yep. Cup. Others have come out of the race and run well since. I think it was a good Ebor this year, as it should have been for a million uh, pound. I think Raymond Tusk has the class and the handicap to run a really good race in the Melbourne Cup this year and perhaps be the red cadeau type that goes around mm. at 30 to 40 to 1. And everyone's saying, what the hell is this thing? We don't know anything about it. And it turns out to be a, a, a really supreme handicap stay.
1: I think in this race, Lee Jordan, come Tuesday is that you could nearly make a case for at least 23 of the horses, 23 or 22 of the horses, maybe Angel of Truth you think can't win, but for most of the others, there's, there's, you can make a case saying, well, if this, if it goes their way and they turn up on that day and maybe another one has a bad day, that they can win a Melbourne Cup.
3: Gareth, you're right, sitting here just looking at the, the, the order of entry and really you can make a case yeah. for a lot of these and, um, the, the horses that Lee Modder's head and uh, Mick Sharkey's already mentioned, I, I do fancy those one. I mean, cross-counter, I think we've sort of mentioned, the winner from last year. Uh, obviously, he's got a big weight rise.
4: Um, Prince of Aaron. Lee? Uh, I've backed Finch and I've backed Latrobe and I've also now backed Il Paradiso and I've got to stop there because I'm going to yes. win and then lose. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Modder's
1: head there, so with half the field. Yeah. Sharkey?
4: Uh,
2: I've backed Surprise and Latrobe and I'll probably back Raymond Tusk on the day.
1: Lee Jordan?
3: Murder Glass,
1: Finch. Okay, I could add Murder Glasses um, to my list as well. So we're back. If we don't pick the winner here, we are sacked (laughs) from next year's opening Melbourne Cup Carnival preview podcast. We need to take a break. And then when we return, we'll wrap it up. We'll talk about Oaks and the decision by the VRC to push that meeting back. And, of course, the final day of the Carnival, which is now highlighted by the McKinnon Stakes.
2: The history of the Melbourne Cup. I have to say that I've never ridden in a cup that's gone so smoothly as as that one.
0: Damien Oliver, with an angel riding on his shoulder, for his brother Jason, media Puzzle is safely home.
4: One thing I can remember, it was certainly one of the proudest moments of my life. My brother, who was a huge influence on my career, and you know, I was so glad that I made the decision and had had the courage to to be able to pull it off. It's a huge recognition to him and legacy to him that. You know, will always be remembered.
0: Australia and the world, with you. Yeah, mate. Melbourne Cups don't mean a thing to me anymore. I give it back right now to have my brother back. Celebrating Australia's greatest race.
1: Welcome back to the VRC Melbourne Cup Carnival Preview Podcast with Gareth Hall, Mick Sharkey, Lee Moneshead, and Lee Jordan. Boys, it's time to talk about the Oaks. And Lee, it was was it a brave decision from the VRC to say, okay, we want to push back this Oaks to a more I call it the twilight zone. It's a late to start anyway.
3: I suppose the thing you first gotta look at is um the Oaks isn't broken. I mean there's a crowd of over sixty thousand that turn up and I think uh Lee Modishead would probably agree. Any carnival around yeah, the world yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on a on a working day absolutely that gets over sixty thousand um, I'd say you take that yeah. take that <laughs> um, turnover wise it's in you know probably the top ten maybe even be higher than that from a wagering perspective so it, it's not broke I think what we just thought is we looked at it and thought well it is a work day and I think um, things have changed with working these days and by pushing it back and enable someone to like work through uh, lunch. Uh hop on the train at uh two o'clock. So the boss, look I've, I've you know, work through lunch, I'm gonna go out to Flemington and um starting at uh around round one fifty, two o'clock and going through to six thirty uh, I think it enables um, people just to have a bit of a different experience. We're going to have a, a bit of a concert on the lawn before the 1st. Um, after Afterwards, 6.25, you can go to the park. There'll be more concerts, et cetera, like that. So it's just offering up a, a, a different different way of doing things. And people will probably come out maybe more European-style, um, Lee, and um, actually have lunch beforehand and then start enjoying the races. and. I think, Gareth, just in the last few weeks, I've just heard a lot of people just talking about it. I think it, you know, I might, I think be, pre, I might be preempting, but I've, I've got a feeling if the weather's okay and whatever, it could be a really good crowd. And we have the potential to even push it back further. Yeah. So, um, anyway, we'll see what happens. Because
1: eventually, I think the VRC wants a race at night, don't they? Or in the twilight zone. So you rock up and you finish work and you head to Flemington and you race, say, from 4.30 to 7 o'clock or 8 because they do it so well over in England. Of course, I mean, what what's happening on
4: Thursday is the absolute norm back home. I mean, the, the idea that um, a major race day at home would start at, well, like the cup day, what, 10, 20, 10, 30 in the morning. I mean, people haven't even left home to go to races <laughs> at that time. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a really good idea. Um, back home, the big... or next to Autobike Home, the big jumps festival in Ireland, the Punchestown Festival, they've moved their start time to 3.40 midweek because they were finding that people couldn't really afford to take a whole day off work. Mm. And there is also that that sense that racing is different to other sports. You know, you wouldn't stage... Um, a a grand final of a a major sporting event midweek in the afternoon in any other sport, would you? You you don't see the Champions League football game kicking off at 2pm on a Wednesday. It's only really racing that does that. And it demands a lot of the people that go because unless you're you're retired or you're a student or you're just copping a day off work, you probably can't go. You're taking a day's leave to attend that race meeting. So if you're giving people more of a chance to be able to get there... And I think that's a really good thing.
3: I think the other thing too, Gareth, we've shortened the gaps, like uh, Derby Day, Cup Day, the traditional 40, 45-minute gaps. On Oaks Day, the first race, the gap's 30 minutes and yeah. the rest of the day's 35. So it'll be later, punchier in that twilight. Um, I think I think it'll work.
1: I reckon we can we can try and back winners all week, but the biggest winner that will be back will be the VRC Sharks, pushing the so. Oaks back. I think it will be a major hit. I agree.
2: And look, for me, Oakstay's always had a an element of naughtiness about it.
1: Oh. You know, even if I think can you back tell back us to, some stories. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I an old shark wagging
2: school to get on the train and go to the track and the Ladies Day angle. But then you know, there's a hundred thousand people that track on a Thursday. And oh, we all should be working. How good is this? But now don't get me on camera. Don't get me on camera. No social media. Yeah. Now you've got the afternoon, that later afternoon angle, as the the gents have been discussing. So you can go and have a good day, yeah. get back on the train and roll straight into dinner. Yeah. And look, let's worry about Friday on Friday. You know, it's, <laughs> I just love that vibe of the whole week. And I think Oaks Day typifies that, that naughtiness of the, yeah. of the carnival. And I, I just love it. I think, I think it's, if you were going, as Lee said, it's not broken, but if you were going to make a slight improvement, put a you know, fancy gold stripe down it, moving it later in the afternoon. Especially. Just yeah. Perfection
1: and it will be a party atmosphere because everybody's in a happy mood they finish work and you head down to the races and and you enjoy the the the, the races there and you back flit and you win the oaks and back you, yeah. and
3: and the other thing is the big uh, the country series final we've got on the the half a million dollar melbourne cup country uh, series one, which has been running through the country uh, and I'll tell you what there's some some good horses going to, um, you know, for, you know, head towards that race as a as a big final. So I think that's developing as a race. It was two hundred thousand the year before five hundred be good to actually increase that as well for all the country trainers and the country gallops and it's got a had a great feel about it last year
1: being a country person that's when the country trainers that's what they dream of of having a horse and competing during the cup carnival and a lot of those country trainers i would imagine would be targeting those horses and buying horses for instance so they could Target that race, and you'll
2: have stakes class horses in the, this year with Harbour Views and Impy yeah. going that way. You'll, next year, they'll be running in group races during yeah. the carnival.
3: Yeah, so it, it's a great, uh, great, great thing for the country guys. I am sure the country guys like to come to the lakes, yeah. day and look at the. Look and at the, they, uh, what is it? the naughtiness. Uh, yeah. And especially, we
1: all love that. especially with the latest start, too. They'll be rocking up before race <laughs> yeah. one. Usually they probably get their race two or three. We move on to the final day. It's now the McKinnon Stakes Day or Stakes Day. And uh, it's worth $2 million, the McKinnon Stakes and also the Group One Dali Sprint Classic. The McKinnon, I like the move, wait for age. So I, I guess, Lee, would you like to see, and we start, you pointed this at the top of the podcast. A few of the Cox Plate runners make their way into the McKinnon.
3: Yeah, obviously, um, Seppelt's Wine Steaks. So I've got to get a plug in for the sponsor yeah. there, Gareth. Um, and the Lexus Melbourne <laughs> Cup. I forgot to say that. I,
1: I'll, no, I'll get sacked.
3: No, no, <laughs> no. you're right. We, obviously, it's been $2 million for the last uh, few years. And yeah, look, it would be great to have the Cox Plate winner go in there. Least Grasseur is going back to Japan and uh, quite amazingly going to have one last run in the Ari McKinnon on Christmas Day, and then that's it uh, for her. would have been great to see her, but she wanted more spacing in her races. Um, you know, Tiago Shark's gone straight to the paddock, and Castle Vecchio speaking with the trainer as well. But, yeah, look, we, well, I think we are just got to keep going. As I said before, we're going to get different pathways in there. One great highlight's going to be Hartnell having his farewell yeah, run, which I think great. that's going to be fantastic. Um, true self, Willie Mullins' is mayor. Probably should have nearly knocked off Prince of Arran, beheading there. Suzuka Devious, uh, we saw at Caulfield. Um, there's your winner. Sorry, there's your winner. Yeah, Suzuka Devious, the uh, unforgotten Japan horse, will be going to the McKinnon.
1: Oh, no. So, Not um, another one. <laughs> and, and Don't then, take and, that
3: attitude. Yeah. Just take the free money <laughs> attitude. And, and as I said before, we'll have some three-year-old form lines. So I think it's actually quite good. It's a different – great to get Cox Plate horses coming on. A Magic Wand may come on. Kings Will Dream. Um, it's going to be a great race. So I, I think it's uh, we, we just stick with it and just keep developing it.
1: So your tip, the best bet for the week? Uh Russian Camelot
2: Oaks Day, eight hundred meter listed race.
1: Okay, so we have to wait for Oaks Day.
2: Yep, it'll be worth waiting for. Don't worry.
1: Lee head? what's your best for the
4: week? Oh, it's not, I can't go as out of the ballpark is I'm just I'm sticking with with Finch and the Melbourne Cup been yep. backing him for a while now
1: and just quickly the interest over in the UK so how many stories will you file for the racing post so with the, there'll be a lot of racing post coverage
4: um, and it's it, in some ways it's common sense in the sense that the better you get at something the more interest there is in it so listen when I was growing up I remember as a young lad um, backing Jeune, um to win the Cup so I remembered him yep. racing for Jeff Ragg back home as a good middle listening source and I remember getting up in the middle of the night uh, or probably four in the morning and listening on BBC radio to the commentary of the race in bed (laughs) and in those days that was as accessible as the race was you know BBC radio did a commentary and then you might see a recording of the race on the following Saturday on on Channel 4 or BBC Grandstand or whatever now the the racing world has become a very accessible thing you know you guys see our races we see your races it's all live it's all it's all it's all there to see and because we've now got good at the melbourne cup there's more interest in it it's not helped at home by the fact it's the same week as the breeders cup and our jump season is kicking off at home so there's a lot of rival attractions if you like and it's run at four in the morning so you've got to be pretty keen to get up to watch Mm. a race at four in the morning but because Europe has become so good at it, it has increased interest, and it's a big destination event now.
1: Sharks would just be getting home if he was English.
4: Around <laughs> about that, yep.
1: yeah. Lee, your best.
3: I like fierce impact in the Cantala because yeah. you know, they were talking about going to the Cox Plate, and they're up for the bonus as well. So um, yeah, just to have something each way.
1: It was a big winner, of course, in the track, and was I chat to Craig work, uh, Craig. Craig Williams at the Breakfast with the Stars, and he identified that horse as one of his best rides for the week. Well, it's a wonderful week, Melbourne Cut Week. It is what racing is all about. It's my favourite week of sport. Kicks off on Saturday, the 2nd of November. Tuesday's the Melbourne Cup Thursday is the Oaks push back looking forward to that something a little bit different and then it's wrapped up by Stakes Day on November 9 This it's been a lot of fun Mick Sharkey I tell you what we'll have you back next year and I'm looking forward to you getting naughty on Oaks Day
2: <laughs> you're going to come and get naughty with yes. me yes <laughs> That's, oh, now, that's a worry. Yeah. There's a Quinella that I don't think anyone wants to uh, back. So Lee Modder Lee.
1: Lee. said, you make sure you use plenty of sunscreen when you go walking and when you head to Flemington. If my legs
4: aren't tanned by next Saturday, i will be very disappointed.
1: <laughs> and as GM of racing at the VRC, Lee Jordan, the very best of luck.
4: Thanks,
3: Gareth, and I've got a picture of Mick Sharkey and I've actually now (laughs) forwarded to the security guard for Oaks Day to keep a watch out for him. I'm in the uh, domain all day, Lee, so I won't be let
2: out of there.
3: Looking forward to a great week, Gareth, and uh, great to be on.
1: Thanks for joining us. Enjoy Melbourne Cup week. We'll be back with a few more podcasts, including a Melbourne Cup special podcast in a bid to hope and try and help you back the winner of the great race. That was the VRC Melbourne Cup Carnival Preview Podcast. Have a wonderful day.
0: But it's Doremus Nicely nicely In the Melbourne Cup. He's got the cup one. He's holding nothing like a Dane. And DeRemus wins the Cup Right finger's the leader. Galilee's got a split and is flying after them. Galilee races the light fingers at the furlong. He's hit the front and he's got the cup one, Galilee. American trivial end. and Rain Lover. Rain Lover and Olsoff. They're going head and head. Rain Lover on the inside. Rain Lover's got his neck in front and one by a neck It's Central Park and Rogan Josh. Central Park Rogan Josh. Fart's got his 11th Rogan Josh wins the cup from Central Park.